0: That's one, that's one ad that I kind of hate is it's like, I call it the, the, just like the rich dude walking around ad, (laughs) (laughs)
1: people
0: walking around, it's like, that doesn't do anything. There's no problem solution.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ecom Growth Show. Let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Ecom Growth Show. Today with us, we have Travis Chambers of Chamber Media. Dude, I'm so excited I'm Excited to have you here. and It looks like you're just uh, getting a little bit of lunch. In He's or hungry do for this show. Head. He's
3: ready.
0: I'm just going to talk and I'm not even going to chew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to let it slowly,
3: slowly go
2: down. It'll be taken care of over time. Just let it <laughs> Sorry, dissolve. Cut Ca- you mid-bite. Dude, what the heck are you doing over there? You guys have 80 people now. Did I read that correctly?
0: Yeah, we're 80. I don't know if it's like 78, 79, but.
2: Bro.
3: That's close enough to about, 80.
2: It's
0: about Yeah, it's in that neighborhood.
2: And quite quite a bit of it just from this year?
0: Yeah. Yeah, about the last 10 months. It went from 20 to 80. To be fair, though, um, I'd say 30 of those people, 20 to 30 of those people, like spending more than half of their time as contractors. Mm. So, I mean, in a way, we were really at like 40 or 50, you might say. Yeah.
2: Dude, that's so awesome. Me and Daniel were just talking this morning how, uh, how blessed we feel to be like pandemic proof you know nobody's nobody's burning us down we're not uh we're not in trouble in in any way like we, we've been growing and stuff so dude that just feels super good and and congratulations to you for growing so much in this this year that's awesome
0: thank you and same to you guys do you guys want to see a crazy do you want to see a crazy graph for quick? Yeah. i would love that this is this is perfect because we can talk about it, but no one can see it on the podcast.
3: <laughs> that is perfect.
0: <laughs> it's um, so what I did is I looked at I looked at about thirty different ages agencies in our space.
2: Uh huh. I'll
0: have to find out where this is. Um. Oh. Yeah. Okay.
3: Are we talking strictly video production agencies or all kinds of agencies?
0: Um, yeah, it was like, oh, shoot, I don't know where I put it, darn it, but <laughs> it was, what I did is I looked at the 30 agencies that are like really good at buying, but also seem to have some kind of element mm-hmm. and, um, I found it and we actually, you would think everyone in our space is recession proof, but most haven't been. Mm. Uh, let me know if this chat. Oh shoot! I don't know. Can I sh- share my screen here?
3: Oh, make him the host, maybe Josiah. That should oh, work. there we yeah. go.
0: All right. So, do you guys see this? Yeah. It's probably hard to see. It's tiny. Um. So, anyways, you start looking at a lot of these other direct um response agencies, and some of them have not grown during mm-hmm. COVID.
2: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Which really surprised me.
2: Yeah. That's what
3: I, that surprises and I me need to too.
0: Growth as well, right?
2: Yeah. We, we've been experiencing more growth this year than we have in any other year. So, I mean, we're, we're feeling really excited.
0: <laughs> and you guys, are you guys are how old?
2: Uh, like, when, I'm 30.
0: Agency no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we're going on five years. I think we're right around four and a half.
0: Okay. 30. I'm 32. <laughs> oh, we're
3: right in there. <laughs> 29. There you go, Rob. <laughs> Perfect dude. My
0: partner's twenty eight.
3: I didn't know you had a partner. Is yeah, that new? he's He
0: he doesn't like he doesn't he doesn't put his face in a lot of stuff. He he likes mm. being more on the operations side.
3: Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Dude, so what was it like going from like Thirty to fifty, some were contractors up to eighty within ten months. That had to been crazy. Did you break anything, or do you guys have good SOPs and were able to handle that kind of growth quickly? Obviously we were if you're sustaining it, but what was that all like?
0: It was pretty crazy. And <clears throat> we did have to stop we did have to stop or slow sales a couple times, which is is really like felt strange. Mm-hmm. So we did have a couple like stop and go moments. And that sucks because you stop sales, then you catch up, and then you reboot it back on again, and there's a lag. Um but you know not as much stuff broke as I thought it was going to. And I think the reason is just because we had we had a game plan for growth actually that had nothing to do with COVID. And honestly I really think we would have grown at least 80, 90 percent 80, of what we did regardless of COVID. Mm. Because we just had this plan. We had this plan. Um we overspent on developing a leadership layer last year mm. to prepare for it. So I think that the just the leadership layer was there. There was though. There was I'd say there was um there was two periods though of like two or three weeks where people were just like this is ne- this is totally mad. This is total madness. Like I can't do this long Um, you know, and that's when we had just like slow down sales and, but it ended up, you know, working out great. Um, we didn't end up having like any turnover really at oh, all. Wow. Um, I think we've only had two or three people in the last six months, seven months, um, leave or like have to be let go. So, I think all things considered, it's funny, you look on LinkedIn and our medium tenure of our team and it's zero years. Hmm. (laughs) That's a little terrifying. You you guys are like, you guys are like 15, 20, right? Something like that. 10, 15.
2: We're at uh, 25 now, not including me and Daniel. So yeah, it's it's been pretty, pretty fun for us for sure.
0: You guys were what, 15 like a year ago or 10 months ago or something like that? I think we were right around we like
3: 12, 12 yeah, around yeah. a year ago or so. I
2: think last January we were at like 12. So, and that, that's, that's felt like a lot to us to go from 12 to where we are now. It feels like we've, we've just about doubled and client base has doubled. And so we're, we're figuring out a lot of that stuff as we go. We didn't have the plan completely mapped out. We didn't have all the leadership layers in place. So it's, it's felt like we've had to do a lot of adapting on the fly. But yeah,
0: yeah, that's incredible. Um, how how has it been for you guys on uh, the ad, the ad buying side? Because man, it's so hard sometimes. Because you, I don't know about how you guys feel, but you'll have like twenty or thirty percent of your clients make most of the money, and they're the easiest. Mm-hmm. And then that bottom thirty or forty percent are just so hard, and it's like they're on their last dollar, and it's like. They're hanging on with their fingernails, and it's like you become their therapist. And
3: <laughs> totally, do. I don't know
0: if you guys see that, but
3: yeah, we see that all the time. I think it's very <laughs> normal in our world. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, like our our client selection process has gotten really good for like media buying because that's all we do over the last like year. So we've gotten really good at selecting the right clients because actually our results across the board are pretty good where we don't have like uh, 70% of our clients is the problem clients anymore. That was the case when we first got going. But now, like I say, selecting the right clients has massively helped that out to where we have. I mean, we have a really solid client base now yeah. where, and our churns super low, which is also assisted in our growth. Cause we're not always, you know, having to bring on new clients every month, even though we are, but we have a really solid, uh, base now that, that we've really liked working with, but dude, I, <laughs> we still do have the ones where, yeah, I know what you mean, like to be their therapist. It's a, it's a real thing. Yeah.
2: And the buyback period for e-commerce it, to develop a plan to do that, it, sh- it can just be a long process and can require quite a bit of investment up front. So I know you're super familiar about that, but, um, dude, I, what I thought would be cool today since, you're, you're an agency and you guys do like these big, awesome video productions. You're very much, you know, have a big creative part of what you do as well. And that's a, that's an area where we don't have quite as much experience. So I'd love to dedicate our conversation towards talking about ad creative. Cause I know you guys just do some of the most amazing things. And I'm always like laughing at the, the ad creatives you come up with and stuff like that. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you what, is, like everyone Likes to talk about ad creatives that they love and like that are the best. But like in your opinion, what is like an ad creative that you feel just straight up like sucks? What are ads that you don't like?
0: Um, if you guys see this, sometimes lifestyle ads are the most common thing that brands want and they create, but they usually don't work very well. And uh, they're, like, heavy on brand, but very low on direct response. I think sometimes it's the founders get really in love with wanting to have mm. this beautiful, sexy brand.
3: Mm-hmm. Totally. But
0: they forget they're not Nike. They're not Apple. <laughs> and, like, if you're not going to spend $100 million a year, you're not, you're not going to get that far with just lifestyle content. And I think it frustrates me, too, sometimes because we'll make something that converts really well and that, like, looks really good. And then they'll say, well, and especially with apparel brands, like apparel, beauty, um, you know, luxury goods, they'll just say, we'll want, we want like elegance first and be- beauty and aspirational content first, everything else last. And so they'll make that or make us run something like that that they have, and it just doesn't work. Mm. So, That's one, that's one ad that I kind of hate is it's like, I call it the, the, just like the rich dude walking around ad. (laughs) (laughs) People walking around. It's like, that doesn't do anything. There's no problem solution. There's no, you know, I don't know. I guess for apparel, it kind of makes sense sometimes, but Mm -hmm. yeah.
2: And do you, I kind of feel like a lot of people are pulled that way because they think it works.
0: Yeah. I think it's like TV. It's like TV minded people maybe, Mm -hmm. you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. So yeah, I, I just wonder like for the people that do, like if, if they have built their whole brand around putting together, putting out like a, a really luxury look or, or they even call them, there's a lot of people that call themselves lifestyle brands, but if that ad creative not, isn't going to work, you know, how would you help them try to like reframe what they're doing marketing wise to be able to grow their business?
0: Well, for a lifestyle brand, I think there's always a problem and a solution no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so you don't, you don't have to make the direct response or the call to action or any of that come at the expense people. I don't know. I think so many brand marketers, they're so they have such strong stereotypes about direct response, creative, creative, that they won't touch it. Like I, I was that way when I started out. And mm. then we made a treadmill dance for Nordic track. We put 50 people on treadmills. The, the sole KPI was we want to influence culture and make people think that re- treadmills are fun. So, so we were just doing a brand lift study and, you know, some other metrics and we said, we said, Hey, let's put in some calls to actions literally just like YouTube annotations back when that was a thing, Mm -hmm. you know, at the very end. And it drove like 7 million in tracked revenue in addition to all the branded stuff. And so that was when the light went off for us of you really have to do both. You can do both. Plus there's a whole sequence. There was a full funnel sequence too. Like if you do really want to run just an aspirational you know, brand lifestyle stuff at top of funnel with zero calls to action. That's fine. As long as you have really hard hitting mid and low funnel stuff and mm. your, you know, your AOV is like high enough over 50 bucks or hundred bucks to justify that multiple touch point thing. Yeah. Um, Dude, but, that actually
2: uh, leads right into my next question. Cause I was going to ask you what's like the best ad creative at, at different points in the funnel. Like, do you find that, uh, top of funnel, it's better to do stuff. That's more just brand awareness and no direct response, copy or clear call to actions. Or how do you, what's your guys' philosophy on that?
0: Yeah. So the top of funnel, I'd also, I'd love to hear what you guys see too, because you guys have such, you know, we have such a diverse clientele probably, you know, we have different niches and stuff, but, um, what we see is the spokesperson ad obviously usually does really well top of funnel and that can be 30 seconds long or, you know, five minutes long, just Mm -hmm. as long as it's engaging, entertaining spokesperson that's maintaining eye contact with you. Um, we see raw testimonials do sometimes do really well top of funnel. Um, oftentimes we'll test like seven or eight of them and just one will work and the others don't work at all. And we can run that top of the funnel we've had we've had raw like iphone selfie testimonials scale equally as well top of the funnel as our hundred thousand dollar spokesperson videos which is pretty wild.
2: yeah that Um, is wild
0: so the assumption always is well why did we spend 100 grand on this thing right and we're like well go ahead and turn it off and find out
2: (laughs)
3: yeah (laughs) Yeah, totally
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's like you know it's it's like people buy for different reasons and they respond to different creative. And um, we we've decided just based we did a lot of testing because that was obviously a dumb lo- dilemma is like, should we be making these big production videos? Are they worth it? And in some cases, no, they aren't. But what we found is there, there are skeptical people who want to feel like they discovered it in the wild and discover feel like it's something yeah. really like raw and that they were so smart that they found this random testimonial <laughs> and they usually don't even realize it's an ad, you know, <laughs> and then you have other people that are more of the brand aspirational people where they want to see something that was beautiful. It was well-made. that was quality. That means that the brand is quality too. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: and then obviously product demos typically work really well top of funnel as mm-hmm. well. Um, so those are the three that, I think if I had to pick three that most often lead the way Mm -hmm. it's, it's those three things. Um, and we've started applying, um, some, some like quantitative, uh, efforts towards creative. So we took the $80 million in spend that we've managed and we put it into a database and we codified every single ad by ad name type. And then we identified the top hundred performing ads Mm. We found that there were seven different categories of ads, um, and then we went and we pulled fifty thousand ads from the top Shopify stores and compared those public metrics with our internal metrics. Mm. We found out our ads performed thirty-seven percent better on average than the top one percent of Shopify top two thousand uh, top two thousand Shopify store Dang. ads. And, um,
2: and did you discover yeah. why why that is?
0: Um, I just think it's because you, you get, I think, I think what most people are doing, even marketers at the top 2000 Shopify stores is they're just creating and then they're spending in order to see what works. Mm -hmm. Whereas we, we do it enough that we see patterns. And Mm so we, we immediately probably eliminate half of the things that they create and waste money on Mm -hmm. those things don't even end up getting made.
2: Either. Yeah.
0: So, but just like, just from that study that we did and that database that we have, I'd say those are the three that generally scale best top of funnel.
2: Dang. That's awesome. And I think it's, it's helpful to point out that you guys have like a lot of, um, bigger brands, bigger spenders and, and people who are working with bigger budgets to create videos. You guys have generated like, uh, Six hundred million in in client revenue, and that's just like trackable revenue, right? There's probably a lot more tied to that. So I think there's a, a pretty big difference between you know some of the things that you're talking about and the scale at what you're doing things and what we're doing. You know, we work with a lot of smaller brands like clothing boutiques and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would say even so, there's still a ton of similarities, like as as far as what would work top of funnel you know we're always trying to push um we're trying to push story top, top of funnel quite a bit like uh the the story of the brand you know the purpose and their their vision for what they're trying to achieve and we're not really trying to get like super super unless they have a really really good product then we'll we'll push product demonstrations top of funnel but a lot of times just trying to get fans of the brand and getting people sold on on that business and then from there, in middle of bottom of funnel, is doing a lot of the social proof. We'll do a lot of like, um, like the user generated content, like reviews, stuff like that. The the more organic looking stuff. We'll oftentimes run that middle of funnel, and that seems to work pretty well. Just adding the social proof layer after they're already interested and after they've had some chance a chance to look over the website, click things over, and stuff like that. And then of course, bottom of funnel, um, that's where we that's where we reserve you know the ability to do like offers and stuff and discount codes and and more social proof but yeah it's really interesting hear, hearing you talk about um yeah even just one of my questions on here was you know b- between like selfie quality to like super bowl quality type productions like what is the relationship between those two do you need them both and and it's cool to hear that you guys have done test where you've spent like a 100 grand doing a nice production. And then you've also ran stuff that was done on a cell phone. And they're both important, right? So I'm just curious to get your your thoughts on that and how you think about those differently.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say I would, if I had to guess, I'd say the majority of our industry thinks that large production videos are not, not worth investing in. Mm-hmm. Like, they say that people would say they are but when the founder gets down to it and actually has to spend the money, usually they, they would, they would prefer if like an Upwork freelancer video would, would scale. Mm -hmm. And, um, (laughs) that they all wish that that was the case. But, um, what we've seen is the mistake people make is they all look at ROAS Mm -hmm. and, They, they, ROAS is the only metric that they look at. But what we have seen is the two major correlations with production value. And we had to really study this because we were very biased towards selling higher production stuff because it's better business for us. You know, we want people to spend a lot of money.
3: Totally. Um,
0: And so what we found is that the two things that dramatically change is longevity and and the backend metrics. So mm. usually th- there's been a very strong correlation with production value and longevity. Um, we've seen that lower production like UGC, by the way, UGC works great. I'd say a third of the ads we're running are UGC or the faux UGC that our employees are shooting at their desks. <laughs> um, but, uh, but on average, we see that the low cost you know, mid to low funnel stuff usually lasts less than two or three months. Mm. Whereas the higher production stuff usually lasts five, six months plus. That's awesome. So that's that's a huge difference. Just the ad fatigue is different. Um, and there's all sorts of guesses and assumptions. I don't know that we can claim exactly to know exactly why that is. And on that, the other huge difference we see, which is very difficult sometimes for founders and internal people to track we usually have to track it for them. And even then they only believe it like 80% of the time is the average order value, the reorder rate, the mm. conversion rate, the email open rate. Um, all of those things we end up seeing go up pretty dramatically. Mm. Uh, and I th- I just think it's just like, it's just like going to a Vegas show. Like the production value is going to have, it's going to have an influence on you and how long you remember that performance because it's very difficult to make something that's that people remember and production value is just like one of the easiest levers to pull mm-hmm. to, to make an imprint and make that thumbprint. And so, so those two things really at the end of the day, it's brand, it's brand awareness, it's brand lift. Everyone hates in our space, direct response. Everyone hates brand awareness, brand lift. And Mm -hmm. we've noticed like the fortune 1000 brands and probably like the top 2000 Shopify brands, they understand the importance of brand and especially the top 2000. Most of them, most of those companies aren't profitable. They're just like massively VC funded and they're just trying to acquire customers as fast as possible. So those guys get brand, you know, Mm -hmm. those guys usually come from a brand world, but you know, all the like 2 to $20 million e-commerce companies that aren't funded, um, they oftentimes just don't, you know, they don't usually come from like big ad agencies or,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, a lot of them just got a really great product and, you know, they're self-taught type mm-hmm. thing. So those are the two things we see with production value.
2: Yeah, that's super awesome. What are, what are some of the your like most favorite projects you've worked on, or most favorite productions you guys have done?
0: I think the favorite is Nerd Skincare. Um, Nerd Skincare was, um, I think it was our third, third or fourth project, and it was one of our first heavy direct response Dollar Shave Club styled videos, mm-hmm. and we very we. We just—I don't know—in every single possible way, we got so lucky. Like, every every like part of an anchor video that can go wrong just went perfectly right. The the actor, the script, the sets the 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 message that we chose, the the sales mechanics, the scenes. I mean, just like everything about it, just was just like perfect. Um, which is. Which is crazy because Nerd Skincare only had forty grand in sales in their first year. They were VC funded. They gave us every penny they had in Mm -hmm. their funding. And they said, either you succeed or I give up and I move back to Taiwan. (laughs) No pressure.
2: uh, Jeez, dude.
0: (laughs) And it went to four million in six months, four million in sales. And our I think our top I think our top um, like top line. ROAS was a three to one throughout. Um, but the reorder rate was like 30%.
2: Wow. That's awesome. So it
0: blended ROI. It was like a five to one.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so yeah, it was just a very like fond project for us.
2: So you guys did like, it sounds like you've moved pretty fast to do that in the first six months. Did you guys come out of the gate, uh, just spending quite a bit or is that something where you, you made the campaigns, you saw there was something special and then just started going pretty hard after that? Or like, what did that process look like? You know, from the time you guys had the finished video to launching the campaigns and getting them, I think you said 4 million in the first six months.
0: Yeah. We spent Dang. in that six months We spent about a million dollars on ads. We started, we launched with 50 grand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh and then it scaled up. I can't remember what it scaled up to exactly. Was it one 150 or something like that? Pretty quickly. Um, and that first month or two, it was just a constant battle with the founder. It always is. Mm-hmm. Always is.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um I just spent all this money on the video. Is the is a performance gonna be there? Mm-hmm. Um plus it's skincare, which is just a reorder business, mm-hmm. anyways. Yep. Uh, so. But uh yeah, fifty and if you look at some of our other biggest case studies too, they also started with fifty grand. So I like that fifty number for launching it. I think that's the minimum viable if you're gonna launch, you know, a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollar suite of assets. Right. Otherwise, don't spend a hundred thousand dollars on creative <laughs> <laughs> if you're right. not gonna spend at least fifty on, a month on it.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Dang, that's awesome. What about, so like, obviously we're into quarter four, moving toward the holiday season. Do you guys do any of these big, you know, and I guess that maybe this is a good question is, do you consider what you're doing to be like big budget um, productions or or campaigns? Or I guess in the realm of of that side of your industry, is that even necessarily what it's called? Sounds big budget to me just because we don't do that, but
0: as far as like holidays goes
2: just, just in general, like your guys' campaigns that you create, do, do you guys call those like big, big budget campaigns?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I'm I mean, just we,
2: unfamiliar with that cause we don't, we don't do big video productions, but in my mind it yeah. seems like those are big budget campaigns.
0: Yeah. We, we consider them big, like they're, I mean, we don't do a high volume of those, um, you know, it's like 20 or 30% of our business are the big, huge projects.
2: Dang. That's awesome.
0: I mean, we got limited capacity on those, you know? Yeah. We can't, I mean, like we can't be taking like 20 of those every month, you know?
2: Right. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be crazy. (laughs) So do you guys do any of those geared around the holidays specifically?
0: Y- yeah, but not as much as you would think. Mm-hmm. Actually, because the of the longevity, is, or yeah, I think it's more of like let's make something work because if it works the rest of the year, it's going to work during the holidays too. Yeah, usually the holiday stuff's more mid to low funnel stuff okay. for us. Yeah, so we actually get a surprisingly few number of like holiday specific creative. Mm-hmm. When it comes to like the bigger production stuff, the lower stuff, tons, you know, tons and tons of, you know, get it now, Black Friday, you know, tons of that stuff.
2: Yeah. But, That's awesome, yeah. man.
3: Dan, did you have any other questions? Man, as soon as we started talking about KPIs and numbers, I got so bored. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know nothing
3: to do with Travis. It's like, dude, I just, what are we, what is this? But I think it's, bad. I think it's, it's
0: really hard to make content in our industry.
3: Yeah, it totally is.
0: Like I've been trying, cause like, you know, 90% of the content out there and the Facebook groups and the ads, it's all, it's all numbers based. Yeah. And and I've always thought like, I don't know if founders really care I'm like we. Somebody needs to be out there making entertaining stuff about how much, it, how hard it is to be a founder, and how you know all that stuff, like managing a business and yeah, you know, dreaming big and that kind of stuff. You know? Totally,
3: that's yeah, that's what excites me more, and because that's more our role now that we've shifted out of the production side. Like when you're asking us what we do at different stages of the funnel, I don't really even know anymore at this point. Like I could say some, some general things, but we have people that love that stuff that are really good at it and mm. are in that. And so I agree with you. It's more fun to talk about the big picture inspirational stuff, mm. just because that's kind of the the zone that we live in, which I imagine is the same for you. You're probably not editing videos and creating black Friday specials or anything like that.
0: Yeah, I, I look at it like ad buying is a lot like cameras. It's like I actually never learned how to operate a camera. <laughs> I couldn't tell you the right ISO, the right like shutter speed, the right. Um, I, I mean, I I couldn't even tell you like the exact lens you need for mm. a certain shot. I couldn't tell you the exact lighting setup. Like, you know, when I'm on set, people think I know, but mm. I don't. I just know yeah. the, like, creative strategic parts of it. Yeah. But it's just the same with ad buying. It's just like, you know, the hard part, as you guys know, the hard part is telling the story mm-hmm. and finding messages that really work. And that's that's the hard part, you how, know.
2: How do you get some – like, how do you discover somebody's story, somebody's message if they if they come to you and they don't necessarily – know what that is. They don't know what makes their brand special. What does that process looks like? Cause I know you guys do all these amazing fun things, but I'm thinking not everybody had that idea when they came to you.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we don't always get it right either. Like I would say our messaging only works. It only gets positive. Our stuff only gets positive ROI, maybe 60 to 70% of the time mm-hmm. as far as creative goes. Uh, then the other 20%, 30% is is break even, and they have to make money on the, the LTV. They usually keep doing it, Mm -hmm. but there's 10 or 20% of the time where it's, it's not, it's not ROI positive. And obviously that has a lot to do with the product as well. Mm -hmm. But, um,
3: that's how I know you're actually working with bigger brands with budgets is when, when they can stomach that and keep going and spending money at that rate.
2: Yeah. One thing that's so frustrating for us or or that's hard and I actually understand where they're coming from, but we work with, um, much, much smaller clients who are very, very picky about, you know, return on ad spend. And this really isn't a good metric for them to be growing their business. And so we have a really good selection process and we have, uh, you know, even when you take an average of all of our clients and the return on ad spend they get, it's really good, but one thing we talk about all the time is it's like, that's probably too good. Like they should be spending more and growing more. What I love about what you guys do is you're, you're giving people the ability to grow even when it, it goes against this idea that you need like a huge return on ad spend, you know?
0: Yeah. Not, not to I, talk I, about I metrics. Say, no, that's good. Yeah, I agree. i still say 70, 80% of mm. our clients still are like real ass obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> the expense of everything else but i mean i get it like if i was a business owner i'd be the same way yeah it's hard not to be like um i don't know i'd love to hear too what you guys are getting on your shopanova ads we get about a 20 to 1 return on our chamber ads and it's the highest actually it's like 32 to 1 i think wow and then i think after we I think after we put in like labor sales, labor and stuff, it goes down.
2: Mm-hmm. So it's
0: mm-hmm. like 20 to one ROI, but it's like 32 to one ROAS. And that's the record. That's our record ROAS in our company history for any project. Yeah. Is our own stuff.
3: Yeah. Are you awesome. just talking about front end sales or is that factoring LTV? If you have clients on retainer and stuff like that.
0: That's yeah. That's like project size, you know, three yeah. months. That's not even factoring LTV actually.
3: It's oh, just wow. first, so first we contract. To, can, so. we, can we take a look at your uh, sales scripts? <laughs> no, we, uh, <laughs> yeah. dude,
2: uh, as far as like just the front end sale without LTV, we're probably sometimes a two to one, but I think this usually like, around one to one. Yeah, one to one. And then we make all our profit and money downstream of that with life at lifetime value. Yeah.
0: There is a difference though. Our retention on the creative side is not very long people get their creative and they, they got it and they come back like six months later. Mm-hmm. So, so it is also a different sale, you know,
2: mm-hmm. but, yeah. um, dude, that's awesome though. It's always nice it's, to be your best case study. Yeah. That that's is cool. really
0: good, dude. My, yeah. My point with that though, is like, if, if, um, if it was lower, I would be like, I don't know. Anyways, I, I realize, I, I understand why founders want to have why they all want to have five six seven real ass you know like i get it right yeah it makes sense
3: yeah it does yeah it's scary spending a lot of money if you don't like as a founder if you don't know if it's going to come back like when corona first hit we didn't slow down budget at all and we were starting to lose clients clients were falling off like they weren't going to stay because there's so much uncertainty and we're like we had to make a decision internally just to keep the pedal on the metal keep spending keep staying in front of people not really knowing you know, if we we're going to keep getting sales or what was going to happen. Uh, but I think that really helped us out staying in front of people consistently the whole time. Mm-hmm. So once people kind of got over the initial fear, they're ready to buy from us. Cause we were able to spend the whole time and stay in front of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had our, our lead costs went up really dramatically the last two months.
3: Yeah. Mm. The elections. With, like
0: elections. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Same.
0: Didn't they they banned, Politiclots, right? Banned what? I think Facebook may have banned Politiclots.
3: Yeah, I think so. And we've had troubles with just a lot of stuff getting disabled and everything, too. Yeah.
0: Oh, our whole ad account got disabled.
3: Did it really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's no, it's they they, they said we nice. were an MLM. I was like, guys. Yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> we get that from time to time, too. Yeah. Uh,
2: that's awesome. Hey, last, last question for you, uh, and then we'll start wrapping up. Um, what's your favorite thing? About being a business owner.
0: Is it that nice,
2: beautiful house that you're building? It's
0: the rush. It's the rush of it. Like I used to, the whole motivation for it was like, I just wanted autonomy, Uh you know? But then you start realizing that the autonomy comes at a greater cost. (laughs) (laughs) Like I have friends, I have a, I have a guy, I have a friend who does Botox for a living. Mm -hmm. Makes... You know, he makes 130 grand a year. He works four days a week. He has a zero stress job. He's always complaining about how he wants to go start his own thing, how he wants to be a business owner. I'm like, dude, no, you don't. You don't. You make 130 grand a year. You work four days a week. You never, you leave the business and at night and you don't think about it at all. I was like, don't ever leave that. Don't. Like if I, if I was in your shoes at the last job I had, I'd still be there and I'd be still, Joked about it (laughs) (laughs) so then you go through the two or three years of hell that's necessary to get some stability and oh man when i started right everyone said it takes two years to get a business off the ground i'm like no not me not not this (laughs) business no way i'm off the ground you know first year second year to be fair we were off the ground we were profitable and it was awesome but like the the pain and anxiety and the stress of it (laughs) was definitely outweighing all the other benefits. So now I've decided, because you have to find new things to get motivated because once you have the autonomy, right, then, so for me, it's the rush. Mm -hmm. I've realized I kind of am starting to enjoy the ups and downs and my, Mm -hmm. when anything bad happens, my my partner calls me and he's like, head above the clouds, man, head above the clouds. (laughs) that's just the way to roll. Just like, let it roll off. (laughs) Just let it roll off. And it's like the longer time goes on, the easier it is to to let the downs just kind of roll off. The more Uh diversified the business gets, the stronger and healthier it gets, the fewer problems, the fewer number of problems trickle up. And so there's fewer decisions in a day, but the rush man of sales is for me, that's like hopping on a dirt bike or, Um, you know, or like, you know, going on an adventure, it's like that adventure of it now that is intoxicating to me. Yeah. What about you guys?
3: (laughs) Dude, I relate to the rush as well. I mean, it's all started because we wanted to get away from commercial fishing just because, uh, being gone from our families, risking our lives became less fun. So being able to work from home and make money sounded really fun. We had like the classic millennials dream, you know, and it luckily it, it worked out. But it was almost started as as running from something. Now it's more chasing our dreams and building long-term vision. That's really fun to me. And seeing what this can look like in 10 years and what we can do for our employees over that amount of time and the amount of impact. I know like saying impact is almost cliche, but... Like it is, it is awesome that we are able to impact our employees and our clients. Uh, and it just kind of, you know, starts with decisions and then seeing it go implemented across the team and then into the client base is, is pretty fulfilling to me.
2: Yeah. Same
0: I think f- the team thing is number two for me too.
3: Yeah.
2: It's super fun for me. It's like, um, just learning to play the game of business. Like I, I think about it in the same way that I used to like, used to love playing sports and stuff. Now, for me, that business is kind of that urge where it's like wanting to do well, wanting to have, you know, quote unquote victories. And then just <laughs> the rush of like, when things do work? when you do like lay out a plan and strategize and make decisions? And then you step back and go, well, like that, that worked. That's pretty dang fun. Pretty dang satisfying.
0: <laughs> I think a business is the best way to chase your dreams. Because if you really like riding mountain bikes – And you say, I want to do mountain biking for a living, you know, it's like a low likelihood that you're going to be competitive with those elite athletes. And then it's even low, lower possibility that you're going to make money. And then it's an even lower possibility that you're going to be able to do that for 15 years and stay healthy. So it's like, maybe if that's your dream in life, start a business and then, and then like focus on mountain biking all you want, whenever you want with like no strings attached. Cause if you're full-time mountain biker that's your business and your whole livelihood and everything you're doing depends on that which probably is going to ruin or could ruin that
3: yeah you won't even like it anymore probably at that point that's so true yeah,
0: there's too many strings attached to it
3: yeah when we so first started we wanted a nightmare yeah when we first started it's because we wanted to do something we we're like passionate about that we really love doing but it was kind of a hobby for us And that was doing videos. And over time, like I hate doing videos now, probably because I had to do it for a living, you know, and all the stress associated to it where I was like, actually, you know, what's fun to me is building a business and having these other hobbies on the side that I can now go and do.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, Travis chambers. Thank you so much, dude. We can wrap this up. Uh, if you guys enjoyed it, we'll put show notes. You can check out Travis and all they do. Some of the fun creatives they do, but please like us, rate, subscribe all the fun things. Robbie, you got anything to add to that?
2: Yeah. Travis, where if somebody wanted, first of all, go follow him on Instagram, follow his oh, company. Yeah. They do amazing things. We'll put links to that. But, um, it, do you want to like point towards people toward, uh, you know, your website or I know you got some cool stuff going on with tangible school. Where can people get more information on some of those things?
0: Yeah. So everyone for free can join our f- free Facebook group. It's called uh, unicorn ad creatives. Sweet. And we post multiple at creatives per day with estimated uh, revenue performance Ooh, and nice. some analysis. So it's a really good way to start seeing a handful of creatives every day and see how they did. Um, and then also we have we have a course out if you would like to do DIY creative. We've we've got a course called sixpackads.course.com and you can it shows you how to make six of the what we call the foundational ads, the six ads that almost every ad account should have. So those are the two plugs.
2: Awesome, man. Good well, thought. thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Thanks guys.